Philanthropy Impact podcast. Listen on for insights into philanthropy, impact investing and sustainability. Hi and welcome to Philanthropy Impact's Walk In My Shoes member series, where today we are hosting a virtual conversation exploring the important role that women who have transformational wealth have in the role in the area of philanthropy and social investment. The series is carefully curated if, um, in short discussions aimed to inspire and inform. Our aim is to ensure we are providing you with relevant and interesting thought leadership and discussions in the philanthropy and impact investing space to bring to your clients. This is just one of the many benefits of being a member of Philanthropy Impact. For those of you who don't know me yet, my name is Zofia and I'm the moderator of this series and your member concierge. Please do connect with me if you want to know more about our membership or the training that we offer or how to collaborate with us. I'll share my email in the chat and it will be at the end of the recording too. Before we make a start, I just want to remind you that this session is recorded and will be available on our YouTube channel. So they are a great resource for you and your clients and also anyone wanting to create positive impact from across the spectrum of capital. However, they are just 30 seconds, 30 minutes. So the session goes very quickly. And so if you're watching live, we do encourage your participation in the chat. But please forgive us if we don't get to all of your questions posed in this time. Today, we are hosting another conversation with session with two incredible women who are making huge strides for change in the world. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome our member, Christina Lundberg, and I hope I said that right, co-chair of the Maverick Collective. And Christina will be joined by Natasha Muller, a next-gen impact investor, philanthropist, mental health activist, and former board member of Philanthropy Impact. Thank you so much for joining us today. I will now hand over to Christina to make a start. Thanks, Christina. You bet. Welcome, everyone. I am Christina Youngberg. Uh, I am a philanthropist and impact investor uh, from The Case for Her, which is a partnership between two of us co-funders, myself and Wendy Anderson. And we've been funding together for over a decade in the highly stigmatized key women's health issues area, primarily in menstrual health. Uh, sexual health and pleasure, and most recently, uh, global access to medication abortion. We take a blended finance approach. We're moving not only grant funding, but also uh, impact investing through uh, debt and equity. We do recoupable grants. We really don't care. We're really just using our funding to de-risk the space of menstrual health for the next group of funders. We fund things like research, uh, product innovation, uh, metrics, uh, human-centered design approach, convenings, uh, a whole bunch of innovation uh, around menstrual health. We're, we're fast, we're flexible, we're highly risk tolerant. We're just interested in, um, like I said, de-risking the space and addressing the SDGs through, through menstrual health. And I'm super excited today to be having this conversation with Natasha. Uh, I think we have a lot of uh, overlap in our work that we're both very specifically interested in how to fund in the highly stigmatized uh, health areas and both taking a bit of a blended finance approach. So welcome, Natasha. And I was hoping to, if you could kick us off by sharing a little bit of your story and how we ended up here today. Uh, so I'm really happy to be here and really grateful that you are, in particular, that are moderating the session. I shared with you earlier um, before joining that the case for her and the work you're doing in gender has informed 
a lot of the work that we're doing in, in the mental health space. And I can share a little bit about that um, in a bit. Um, my personal story, um, particularly when it relates to mental health, my father had bipolar, uh, type one depression and died by suicide when I was 20 and when I was 17 years old. And I inherited at a really young age. And for me, impact investing and investing according to the sustainable development goals was always a thing, but I'm 38 years old now. So like when I was 25, 26, that was not a thing. And given that we're talking to like a group of advisors, you know, when you come to your advisors and you're just like, from the family perspective, oh, I want to do this. Um, I want to invest according to the SDGs. Didn't resonate with them at all. So I think the blended finance approach is also a super interesting one because when I wanted to talk about mental health, they were like, why don't you just do charity? And I was like, mm. huh. okay, yes, we can do that. But I am also interested in the business models that you know we can develop around that. I'm interested in advocacy. I am interested in lobbying. And I think that is the case study that you guys have done at Case for Her. So if I look at the mental health space nowadays, um, I think since 2017, there's been like a massive innovation in the investment in mental health, but it's been around sort of telehealth, maybe immersive therapies, community, but it hasn't really um, provided the returns, either impact-wise or finance-wise, that we had the hopes for. It certainly hasn't addressed the concept of quality of care. And so we're perhaps in the you know, act two version of that. And I would be super interested to hear your perspective from the gender perspective, because you know, given Roe v. Wade and everything that's happened, I feel like they're, you know, we're in certain stages in the development around that. Um, so when I look at, I kind of blabbed on there without a um, overarching point, but when I look at the mental health space, I think that we are like in the second half of that. And I think philanthropy has brought us here. It has developed those business models and those business models are the ones that we can invest in. But now we need to, develop that further and again to your point about blended finance that's the point so we need to invest in research we need to invest in advocacy we need to invest in the convening bringing private entities together with the public sector to be able to create the business models that investors can really come on board with with kind of institutional funding Amazing. Can you share a little bit more kind of the, the start of that journey? Did you come to this originally from a philanthropic angle and then did that evolve uh, in some way or did you know that this is how you were going to do this work? How did you end up? Because my impression is, I think we're taking similar approaches. So of course, my impression is that you're being quite strategic about how you're moving your funding, which includes being extremely flexible. So I'm just curious. I mean, of course, I'm I'm happy to like to um, to jam on this a bit, like how we ended up there. But yeah, I'm really curious about how you ended up here, being so flexible and and risk tolerant. To be honest. Okay, I'm going to be completely honest. I didn't know what the hell I was doing when I started this out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's what I want to hear because it's honest and it's true. And I think, you know, our audience needs to hear that because, you know, 
I know for for me and and my co-founder, like there just was not this supportive network. I think that that we needed. So so how in the world did you navigate that? I'm so glad you said that. And also like John Pepin, who I'm going to like kind of harass because I know he's in the background here behind philanthropy. Back. <laughs> he, he always tells me he's like Tasha, you're a catalyst, you're a networker. I'm like no no no, you know. Oh yeah little imposter syndrome you know we're not doing that much but we are you know yeah. if I'm realistic we are at the forefront of that but it's not because I set out to do this and I'll be completely honest about it like my thinking right now is not what my thinking was 10 years ago like awesome I came into this because perhaps the same as you I really wanted to move the dial really wanted to change the dialogue around a particular cause yeah like, gender was not something that was discussed about before and if it was it was very it was talked about in a very cultural perspective and same with mental health and you can speak much better about the the gender angle than than I can but you know with mental health it was not like I didn't start out with that like 10 years ago I started like hmm donating here, giving a few grants here, doing this here. And then as I put my whole impact investing angle together with my philanthropy, together with my advocacy, mm -hmm. then the theory of change sort of started coming together. And quite frankly, I'm super grateful and honored to be on this call with you because as I mentioned to you slightly earlier, your model of the theory of change for the case for her was partly what inspired mine, you know? You have all those elements and I think all those elements have to come together to be able to create an ecosystem that is ripe for investment. And you were at the forefront of that for gender. Well, I mean, to be honest, I mean, we we really, my co-founder and I, I mean, thank goodness that I was able to find this partner uh, in this work. Um, we really came at it with some philanthropy. And I think we were quite shocked when we realized that our voices were actually having more of an impact than our actual financing. And that kind of led to where we are today, where we decided that really this investment portfolio was a learning tool for us to get super smart, to get the issues that we're passionate about on the global agenda. Um, we also found that the, the, stigma, the stigmatization of, of these women's health issues were not just an issue at the grassroots level. It wasn't just that women weren't asking for, in this case, uh, support around menstrual health. It was that it was so stigmatized at the funding level that you know it wasn't even it wasn't even getting getting on the agenda but can you share with us a little bit about sort of your journey in the mental health space and and funding and you you sort of hinted on that you've, you're seeing it kind of evolve and change uh since you've been engaging is there is there something to, to say there do you think that the needle's moving do you do you think that uh it is different than it was when you got started so i think that's a really interesting question and especially in relation to the blended finance perspective when I first started out with this it was very much philanthropy because I was doing the whole grassroots level philanthropy plus the ecosystem building so I was doing the whole you know those two angles but 10 years ago we were not talking about mental health so it no. was like absolutely not so COVID massively accelerated that. And then there was a whole, if I'm honest, neoliberal sort of investment perspective when it comes to that, which was like, 
and I'm not going to complain because I'm just like, my motivation is to get more financing into mental health. It is perhaps not the more nuanced impact investing that I would like to see if I can be that honest, but I think we had to get there. And I think we had to um, create the business models. We had to talk about ROI. We had to talk about the research. Who is going to pay for what? You know, particularly when it comes to mental health, it's a public private issue. So it's health. So we're talking about deinstitutionalization. We're talking about community care. What happens if you have like a mental breakdown? Let's put this into perspective and let's bring in real life situations. Um, What happens if someone has a psychotic breakdown? You call 911 if you're in America or you call the NHS you end up in the formal systems of care that has so if you're lucky you then get into the formal system you then end up having a therapist you maybe get six sessions on the nhs who's paying for that general taxpayer you know if you're lucky and you can afford it you then pay for that with private insurance but how can we find new models of care that perhaps outcomes-based investing. So, and I don't know if that's something that you've experienced or you've had um, in the gender space, but if you can say our intervention is going to perhaps reduce depression or anxiety by like 10% or 15%, can the government or the public system then reimburse investors because we're providing a model of care that isn't then overburdening the public sector. Those are the type of models that I'm interested in from an investor investor perspective. How do we get there? Philanthropy. Because the philanthropic contribution will enable us to develop those models. And we're not yet there when it comes to mental health, um, in my opinion. Well, so it sounds like you're really not, I mean, you're, you have your hands in a lot of the different aspects across this sort of like system, and you're really having to play this role to connect some of the dots. Um, And what I, one of the things that I'm curious about, I'm just going to move a little bit is how being so grounded in your values, whether it's led to you changing up your investing outside of this work whether um, you've started to, in in addition to moving impact investing and philanthropy, you know, I think you and I were talking a little bit about VC funding as we we jumped on the call. Do you see yourself also as more of a traditional investor or a venture capitalist in this space too? And and what role do you think that that could play, if any? Um, So I love that question because I often end up speaking a lot about mental health and it does not capture the full range of uh, activities that I do. Um, I'm not a VC investor. I will say that because I think VC investing is really particular and I think you identify and you have a VC portfolio, then that's a very different type of investing. I do have a portion of my assets invested into VC, but it is an amount that I have outlined uh, and spoken about my advisors, um, given that we are talking to philanthropy impact and um, the role of advisors in this. And I think that is the role they they can help play in outlining sort of the buckets, particularly when it comes to impact and and finance. Um, I forgot your question. It was traditional. Well, I think I really wanted. 
I want, I wanted to hook into some of your values, you know, I think oh, yeah. and something, something that, that, that has, has really been part of my own personal journey is that we kind of started in philanthropy. And then of course, you know, naturally we became impact investors and then it's just like gone from there, you know? And I think the funny thing, you know, the case for her, Wendy and I, we show up in a room and we can kind of be whatever we need to be, right? Like we can be a philanthropist if that's what you need. We can be a female philanthropist. I can be an impact investor. I can be a venture capitalist. I can be a femtech VC, you know? And I think we're so aligned with this thing that we're trying to do, right? To like actually move the needle on something specific. And I, and I feel that from you too. And so we're willing to show up in rooms. And I think people, people don't really know what to do with us because we're really pushing on all these different angles to achieve this one thing. And we're being so flexible and highly risk tolerant about it. And so we find ourselves, yeah. So, you know, we kind of have to ask people, who do, who do you need me to be today to move, to move the needle? Um, and part of that has been really looking at my whole portfolio, not just the philanthropic piece, but the whole portfolio. And I think, you know, the advisors today that probably work, work beyond just the philanthropic piece um, and just ask, ask more questions about can, can I, can I move more of the significant capital and investment to move the needle on this issue? So I, I think you hit a couple of points there that really resonate with me. It's, Um, I think it's the systems change or the holistic outlook that really interests me. So when it comes to um, moving the dial, I think that is where I need to focus on or where we each need to focus on a kind of lane when it comes to being an expert. But at the same time, you can be flexible about where you're uh, what type of capital you're using or what kind of role you're playing. So like if I look at my whole systems or my whole portfolio approach, I invest across all the SDGs. I have a bias, however, toward mm. climate, health and food with an overlay of gender and racial diversity. And then within that, I have then delineated buckets because that's okay. the, the asset allocation um, sort of finance me as to where I'm going to allocate my more, more risk capital. Because if I'm honest, um, I can't put all my capital towards VC. I simply cannot. Yeah, no. Right. So, and if you are um, effective altruism, do you know that movement as well? So I, I love Robert Bogart. I love Kelly Likert. I love, I love the, those kind of advisors. And they take like, minimum risk versus maximum out um, maximum impact that's not how I can run my entire portfolio but I think there's an element of that that says sort of what can you uh what can you do with that and that some of their perspective is maybe you can just have some investments that aren't like hugely impactful but they are negatively ESG screened and then more income generating, and then you grant that money away and you have more impact that way. So I think when it comes to thinking about impact, you have to think a little bit more fluidly and a little bit more to your point about the portfolio perspective. And that's the way I take it. Like when someone says to me, oh, are you more funds or more, you know, company perspective? I'm just like, why are we saying one or the other? Are you more yeah. debt? Right? Yeah. 
or mutual fund. You know what I mean? Just like, let's have that broader perspective. Well, I think it's really interesting that you bring up uh, effective altruism, because let's be honest, like if I took that approach, not one thing in my portfolio would have gotten funding, like not one, actually. So thank goodness there are a few of us that are um, taking a different approach. All the, yeah, it's also very personal. Um, I was wondering well, if- You possibly might not have kids either, because like if you're- doing the effective altruism climate change, which I think is great. Like, but you wouldn't have kids or you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be right. able to have income generating activities. So my, the way I, I see it is I take their advice and perhaps some of my philanthropic grant giving is according to the effective altruism. It's yeah. a whole portfolio approach. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's where we're getting at with this. Well, and I think I think uh, in my in my opinion, taking a different approach uh, really ends up in in my opinion uh, resulting in our capital being some of the most valuable capital because it's some of the most difficult um, to to unlock. To be honest, but why don't we shift shift a bit um, and and kind of move the conversation to some of these points I have here and I'm curious if we do want to go back and jump in a little bit about the role of professional advisors I think you know you and I have been doing this work for long enough that I'm sure that we've run into a few few advisors uh, that have really supported us or that we've really supported in doing a better job advising um, what what would you what would you like to start with the role of professional advisors? How can um, how can they be more supportive in making this work happen? What do you think would be some of the most like key key roles that you would hope for? So, or you can take it wherever you wherever you want. What what do you want to say? <laughs> I, I will maybe take one step back because I have a perhaps rather uh, unique situation in relationship with my advisors. So I shared right at the beginning that my father died by suicide when I was really young. So I inherited when I was 17 years old. Um, and up until the age of like 25, 26, I invested or had my assets together with my family. I'm 38 right now, um, soon to be 39. But my point was um, I could not match my values with my family. And with 25, I didn't know what my values were. I just knew that like, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to invest in solar parks and I wanted to, invest in gender I wanted to invest in climate and again like this is like 12 years ago I am half Swiss try and find a Swiss advisor huh, that knows impact that knows women you know next gens forget it so I picked really quite conservative Swiss advisors to advise me for a very particular reason, given my family history. And I had to bring them on board on the values and impact space. So what I would say when it comes to that discussion, I think it's more about the dialogue that you have with your advisors. Like 
if you know the impact space and you know your values and you know what you're going to bring to the table, then you can. And if you have people that you can have open and honest communication with, then I think, you know, you can bring the impact side for that. Um, I look to my advisors to, to your point about the holistic perspective. That's what I want them to help me with. Liquidity management, um, buckets, um, impact. I set out, I wrote my IPS with them. How are they enabling sort of the uh, rolling out of financial capital or the rolling out of impact to reflect back on the IPS? That, the bigger picture stuff, that's what I had looked to my advisors for. Um, I don't know how that reflects with you, but like, and also how does the, my non sort of agnostic, I'm sector agnostic, but how does that then link into my mental health philanthropy? How do the two relate? How can we bring it all together and how can we consolidate? That's what I looked to my advisors for. Wonderful. So I think um, my experience uh, looking for advice, I mean, I've, I found it very difficult to get the support that I needed, uh, certainly at the beginning uh, and, and uh, falsely thought that I would find that maybe at my bank. But ultimately, uh, I really leaned on connecting with networks and very much specifically other networks of women kind of going on this learning journey, uh, trying to find um, like-minded, inspiring, uh, engaged, you know, individuals that were looking to do do this work and do it well. I'm, I'm curious if that's played a role for you, if there's, if there's something there or where you go to, to, um, to refresh, to, to fill up again, because I mean, you and I both know this is, this is hard work and it's very personal. Like sometimes you need to, to get some support that that's not in the form of an advisor. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, I found solace and, uh, in my next gen. So, I actively support the University of Zurich uh, with their uh, Center for Sustainable Finance and Private Wealth. So working with other next gens, I think that was really important for me. So other, you know, wealth holders, other um, impact um, investors, that was a huge, you know, turning point for me. I joined their cohort in, I think, 2016, 2017. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> So um, excuse me. So I've been working with them for a long time, and then Tonic, I think, was also like a massive um, network for me. So I think for me it was um, the Next Gen Network, and then also um, a big network of female philanthropists as well, which doesn't, you know, we still don't talk about, and it's still not like a um, a, a big thing. And we have the discussions a lot around next gens, millennials, Gen Zs versus sort of older school philanthropy and particularly the role of women. And I think there's like a massive generational shift in financing at the moment. So there is a lot of discussion around that. And I think that finding those kind of women that I have been able to um, discuss that with has been 
uh, really invaluable for me as well. Amazing, because I've noticed we're, we're having a discussion today about women of wealth <laughs> and our philanthropy. Do you, um, do you find that there's a difference or is there something that you would want to say about that? I do. Hello, female philanthropist, impact investors. Yeah. I do. And I just like, and I, I think I, 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 I perhaps mentioned this in the kind of 50 minutes before we were joining this call. Um, John Pepin once mentioned to me, like some of the discussions we're having now are the discussions we had like a few years ago, like, you know, around climate and racial justice and gender justice and mental health. And I think part of the thing was like, it was so like, I hate this word, but siloed. And now I think we are having this discussion around different generations and different cultures and even, you know, <clears throat> you know, dare I say it, bringing the parents on, on board or bringing the older generation on board or bringing men who resonate with feminist ideals or, you know, I can see you nodding, John, but I think that is what is really changing the dialogue, particularly when it comes to family offices and investing. Um, so I'll be quiet because um, I think we're at time, but. Well, Natasha, this has been a fascinating conversation and I can only say that it's been a teaser. I think you and I are going to have to hang out. Um, I just, yeah, I'd like to have a two hour discussion, um, but so thankful for this time with you. Thank you so much. Um, <clears throat> thank you, both of you. <coughs> Excuse me, that was brilliant. Um, happy to facilitate another discussion um, because I think we just scratched the surface. Um, very inspirational, what you are both doing. Uh, very impressive. Uh, I think there's a lot to learn uh, from your journey and your impact. And I think uh, we should be probably having a further discussion. So thank you. So I'm going to ask you for 30 seconds, final words of wisdom, and then I'll turn it over to Sophie to close it down. Okay, so uh, Natasha. <laughs> this is like, Oh, I hate this part. So what I would say is, I think sometimes we overthink these things. I really do. I think, listen to your heart. Um, it's not that complicated. Um, your values are what you live by and just aligning your investments, your philanthropy to that is the way forward. So I would encourage everyone to try and do that. Christina. So I wish I, I, I forgot I was supposed to think about this, but I'm sure I can come up with something. I mean, a few things, one partnership, 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 like find, find your people that has meant everything to me, uh, to partner with other amazing, uh, women philanthropists. Uh, I would say, take a good look at your whole entire portfolio to Natasha's point. Like, I, is, does my whole portfolio actually reflect my values, um, it doesn't mean that it has to all be high risk, but shouldn't it all be aligned in, in what you're trying to accomplish? And the last thing, I just think, especially in the Nordics, we need to be making this case that philanthropy is just another asset class with minus 100% return, and it should be deployed as some of the most innovative, incredible capital in a, in a highly risked, risk tolerant fashion. So. Thanks um, so much. I'm in, I'm in awe of both of you. Uh, thank you very much. That was terrific. Sophia. 
Yeah, thank you. That was brilliant. It was really interesting and really quite emotional, I think, and motive to listen to. I think people forget how much people put their heart and soul into trying to do good with their wealth. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the background that potentially people don't think about when they're advising their clients in this way. So thank you so much for giving some real colour to that. Um, on that, we are back in a month's time with another Walking My Shoes. It will be the 12th of June. But we do have a really interesting um, event coming up this week, if you've not already signed up to it. It's looking at the integrity, impact and values, learning from faith communities. It's a really interesting session that we've curated because we want to, to kind of understand that there are lots of different ways to give, um, but it all centres in your values, whether that be faith or not. There is a different faith in there for everybody. So thank you so much. And I will see you hopefully at the event on Wednesday. Bye, everybody. Mm -hmm.